Black alert, if you're a fan of Disco Nights and Star Trek Discovery, don't miss Disco Nights Live this March at WonderCon with host Chase Masterson and special guests recording a live episode of the Ultimate Discovery Podcast. If you're a Discovery fan, you don't want to miss this live event at WonderCon with Chase and her special guest, Disco Nights Live at WonderCon. Bring your disco shoes. If you're a fan of the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, then you'll love seeing your favorite Inglorious Trexperts hosts live at WonderCon. Join us for a very special guest as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Trek V as we record a live episode of Inglorious Trexperts. You heard right. Star Trek V. We all hide a secret pain. See you there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. And if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica, and who isn't, check out my new oral history of Battlestar Galactica with Ed Gross, So Say We All. It spans the complete history of Battlestar Galactica from the 1978 series to Ronald Moore's brilliant reinvention and even Galactica 1980. Available from Tor Books wherever books are sold. All right, hello, and welcome back to Disco Nights, the show about the lights and darks, the days and nights of Star Trek Discovery. And we've got a very compelling episode for you today, and an equally compelling group of guests. Here we are, back with Lisa Klink, who was a writer on Voyager for three seasons and is now a novelist, with works such as All In, All Gone, and... False Idols. False Idols on SerialBox.com. Welcome back, Lisa. Happy to be here. All right. We have Alexandra August, who is a a host of the podcast Got Thrones and also the Disco Trek. Welcome back, Alexandra. So good to be back. Thank you for being here. Uh, You also write for Screen Rant. I do. I do. I cover lots of different stuff for them. So you can find my work over there and at CBR and I pop up on the internet. Hooray. Frequently, yeah. (laughs) Hooray. Always good to pop up on the internet. And Jeff Bond, who's been popping up for years now as the editor-in-chief of Geek Magazine. What could be better than that? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. And you've also written books such as The World of the Orville. I have. And a book on narcos, et cetera. How are you, Jeff? I am terrific. All right. Well, I'm Chase Masterson, your host, and I am really intrigued by this next subject, uh, partly because of the lack of this subject, which is sexuality in Star Trek, and moreover, LGBTQ issues and relationships in Star Trek. And thankfully, for the very first time in Star Trek history, we're really exploring that on Discovery with Hugh Culber and Paul Stamets. And... One thing they've gone and done is kill Hugh off, which is, you know, otherwise could be seen as a trope, except for now we've got Hugh back. And that brings up so many issues about about um, their relationship and, and what it's like to get your life back and what it's like to get your partner back, your husband. Um, I just want to say right off the bat, one thing I really appreciate about their relationship is the way that we found out about them was they were brushing their teeth. And we found yeah. out that they're a couple. And it's so nothing, cute. you know, that's, yeah, it wasn't a dark thing about, you know, sexuality or, you know, some steamy scene and some, you know, intergalactic hot tub. It's a great it message was, about oral hygiene. 
Yes, <laughs> like, I'm sure that's why. Brush your teeth, on people. Star Trek, much I was going to say, bathrooms. we don't like, get bathrooms. We've never right? seen a straight couple brushing their teeth together in the morning. I mean, we never see just normal couples going about their day anywhere in Star Trek. We really don't get a lot of bathroom action at all, do we? Not fan fiction, not. yes, but... Fan fi- right, <laughs> well, we'll discuss baths. that, yeah. But it's really great to have characters um, like you and and Paul and so beautifully played um, by uh, by these actors. So tell me, what are your thoughts on this? You seem like raring to go over there, Alexandra. I'm, I'm, t- I'm like rejuvenated by my bagel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> spoiler alert, I just had a bagel. I'm... I really, I like this relationship. I am not a member of the LGBTQ community except in allyship. So I don't want to speak to whether or not I thought it was a kill your gays moment. Um, but I am, I was just so, so glad. Like genuinely my heart was warmed when he came back to the show. And I was so upset yeah. for that moment of that episode where he reaches through the mycelial sort of barrier and he can't go through it. I'm like, no! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. Really, really. And that's... um. As a straight person, I look at, you know, I sort of invest in what looks like me and what's aspirational for me. So I'm a huge shipper, but that's never really crossed over into any LGBTQ couples because it's just not. I like to put myself like part of this is to a degree aspirational. What the kind of couple that I would want to be or, you know, the kind of couple, couple dimmer relationship I'd like to experience. And this is one of the first this particular couple has like totally blown that out of the water like I love daydreaming about these guys like walking <laughs> yeah. on the beach and like getting into fights with each other like they're just adorable <laughs> there's like, a lot of heart there they're incredibly well rendered and it doesn't hurt that like also as like putting on like musical theater nerd cap it does not hurt for me that it's Anthony Stamets and Wilson Cruz who like kind of sort of were Anthony in- Rapp yeah and Wilson yeah. Cruz oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Anthony Rapp <laughs> wonderful and- yeah yes. both played roles. we love from Rent and yep yep it's just wonderful actors just for that reason alone I want to see them on screen um, but yeah this relationship has a, a lot of places that it could go um, well that's what I was thinking when in the most recent episode when Culber was obviously having some trouble readjusting to you know being alive again and maybe not being entirely the same person I mean that seems like a relationship challenge to say the least <laughs> that how you know, because I imagine that Stamets is going to want to basically jump right back into where they left off, mm. and that's going to be challenging for Culber. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm kind of interested to see that dynamic. Yeah, I liked um, that scene. Uh, how Stamets is just sort of blissfully, you know, he, he's in a completely other world. It's almost not even relating. And he wasn't to, even listening. Yeah, to he's Culber. not. Uh, and I, the, you know, what I all I would say about. these two characters is that to me Stamets is has kind of established himself as a character more Uh, he's someone who has characteristics we know know him better because we've seen uh, him with Tilly quite a bit I don't see that with Culber and that's why now I'm like oh yeah I want to see the stuff about how he's reacting to being brought back to life because it seems to be bringing a little bit more dimension to that character but we still you know, he still hasn't been established to me enough as a person. You know, what what are his likes and dislikes? What does he feel strongly about other than stand up? Opera. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So right. Uh, th- I th- that that's sort of my only um, issue with with this presentation. I, I love that the, we have this relationship, that it's being explored. Uh, but I would like to see that the both characters fleshed out as people a little bit more because that's just going to make it more, more interesting. Absolutely. You're right. It would have been more interesting to to get to know him better before 
this transition because mm-hmm. then we as viewers would be able to see the difference. But th- this mm-hmm. is a, something that all, has sort of, to me, a post TOS problem that has always uh, uh, <laughs> been the case with Star Trek shows is that the, the original show, and I've said this a hundred times, is, you know, the first episode where Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are together, their characters are completely fleshed out. You know exactly what to expect from from them from there on. Now they might not be extraordinarily complex they, because it's not a, a serialized show where they're going to be adding layers and layers and layers and twists and turns to their yeah, character. Yeah, it wasn't complex, but, but, but it was as specific. people, yeah. they are very very sharply defined. All the other TV <laughs> shows, they seem to have like come up with the production before the, the characters, and they always cast strong er- characters. But if you watch the first, and the the key to this to me is always watching um, the the versions of the Naked Time that that mm-hmm. happen, because the Naked Time in the first uh, Star Trek was a brilliant way of saying we have these very established characters, and now we're going to show them acting crazy and unlike themselves. Mm. And so you're going to recognize that right away because you know universe, what, what right. to expect yeah. from these characters. Yeah. They do that in this first regular episode of <laughs> Next Generation. We have no established characters, so we don't know what it means when they're behaving yeah. in, in odd ways. We don't ways. see the difference. Also, like yeah. Data has a sex scene, and it was just that was such a heavy moment because I like can he consent to see how does this work this is it's, so strange it, and yeah. he's tossing and it, it, this off and of course we're like, going to go there to just really fully explore so, the and meaning I, of being I human I think the Discovery had similar problems they had a fantastic cast some very some kind of strong ideas and concepts for characters but uh, out of the gate they didn't all necessarily establish themselves as instant you know characters that you know well there's more of them for one thing so they're sharing screen time and also they're they're not as specific archetypes mm-hmm. I mean Kirk hero yeah. leading with his heart you know, brazen, Spock the brain. buff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Spock the brain. Exactly. I mean, these McCoy are the these McCoy. are more <laughs> um, intricate. Uh, you know, in, in terms of that, I think that part of the reason that it was so hard, it, it, it was it was just as hard for me to lose Hugh because of we loving Stamets. You know, it, yeah. that was what was so hard about that for me. It would have been nice, sure, to know Hugh a little bit more before he, we had lost him, but. Of course, we all heard the rumors that he was coming back. So, yep. f- trying to figure that one yeah, out. Yeah, the fact that people were so angry about, it, like, on the one th- on the one thing, the kill your guest thing, I think is totally justified, and it was right. really frustrating for a lot of people. At the same time, he they were like out the gate being like, "There's more to the story. It's coming back," and people would just like to this day on Twitter, like Wilson Cruz will retweet people who are either displeased with these coming back or like don't believe it fully. And he's like, yeah, "I don't know how yeah. many ways I can tell you. I'm a series regular in the second season. Like, you're- yeah." <laughs> Yeah. Something that is really going to be interesting about his character, something that he brought up in an interview uh, about really getting a ch- second chance at life and how that, like all good Trek, is a really interesting parallel to people in real life getting a, a, a second chance at life. But particularly what he drew as a parallel was the AIDS crisis and how when early on people starting get started getting access to retrovirals and being you know they thought they were dying and then suddenly there's something that you can do and live and how would you live your life 
obviously, when you're given a true second chance? How would you value your relationships? This, of course, has the added bonus of, well, is he really, really the same guy? He's created from his own DNA, but how will that differ? What will this do to his relationship? But solidifying his values as, you know, getting to live again Mm -hmm. is compelling subject. It is. And I, I like that Saru had a moment with him because Saru, having recently gone through a kind yeah. of a rebirth mm-hmm. of his own, mm. I think it kind of hit on the, the same themes. And I thought that was nice. Yeah. I think also Saru is like Captain Fearless now and she's got all the advice for everyone. And like, yep. I'm not afraid of anything anymore. Come to me with all of your questions. <laughs> um, just you know, um, but I enjoyed that as well. Yeah. Um, so... You know, kind of going back to the original series, obviously there was no real LGBT uh, – am, am I saying all the letters because I'm terrible? Uh, I think it's this. technically LGBTQIA. LBGT. Right yeah. <laughs> IA. There's more. There's yeah. so, more. <laughs> there's so Intersex, much Intersex, asexual. Uh, obviously there was no real exploration of these – Ideas and these types of characters in except Star in in, fanfic, I, I, except in fan well, fiction, not in canon, though. and that, <laughs> it, which is not canon. But I, I do think it's interesting to discuss that. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, uh, you know, in original Star Trek fandom, there's a, a, a star, women have always been a, a, a huge component of, of Star Trek fandom from the beginning, and uh, there was a, a basically fan fiction and kind of uh, discussion about the characters of Kirk and Spock and uh, sort of uh, fantasy fiction about them having a sexual relationship. Mm. Uh, And there's... uh, It's called slash fic, folks. Slash (laughs) fiction. I I think it's interesting to talk about this just in terms of the dynamics of the the Kirk and Spock relationship, Uh, the fact that Shatner... And and he talked about this in, in interviews that uh, his portrayal of Kirk had a very very strong emotional component that uh, in other ways he was similar to characters you would you know hero characters you'd find on shows in the 1960s like Napoleon Solo from The Man from Uncle you know he, he was a a character who was fairly sophisticated and intelligent had a sense of humor uh, and was a man of action uh, but. The, the, what Shatner brought to it was this, like, a kind of a, a, added emotional element. He was not afraid to go deeply into emotion, into suffering, it's anger, grief. Mm. Uh, you saw uh, that, I think, in ways you, that you didn't see in a lot of other action, adventure heroes. heroes. Yeah. And that, I think, kind of open the door for, uh, you know, people thinking about Kirk and Spock on these terms. And there are many moments in the series where uh, the affection between those two characters, it becomes a powerful, uh, you know, when Spock, you know, speaking of characters been raised from the dead in a mock time, Spock thinks, or Kirk thinks that he's killed Spock uh, on Vulcan, and at the end of the episode, uh, or Spock thinks he's killed Kirk. Mm. Uh, And Kirk is revived at the end of the episode, and there's a huge emotional moment. It's, it's the first true moment of emotion from Spock, where he's not being, you know, affected by spores or something. You <laughs> mm. simply see his joy at the fact that his friend is is not dead, and this is a huge moment for the series. Um, so that's always been a, 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 a sort of unstated but very 
strongly implied uh, idea that these two characters really love each other in a, in mm, a way. Yeah. Right on through the like death of Spock. Frodo. I mean, and that the, was, there's another yeah. moment yeah. in, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture, the key moment for Spock when he wakes up after having gone inside Viager and, and makes this realization that emotions, which he's been trying to shut out, you know, his entire life are critical to to un, understanding and you know uh, his sort of relationship with the universe and he takes Kirk's hand and holds him and says you know this simple feeling is beyond features mm. uh, comprehension um, it's a true moment of love and it's something very accepted by Kirk you know uh, who's, Kirk is you know smiling at him with understanding in a crazy moment this is right after Star Wars mm. you know uh, this gigantic phenomenon which is completely about just destroying the enemy right and if you have for the, the you know, for the climax of the next big gigantic space movie is two men holding hmm. hands and basically Beautiful. talking about emotions and and how valuable they are and, and then uh, you know much later on there's also kind of a goofy take on that in Star Trek 5 at the end of that uh, Spock saves Kirk's life Kirk gets on the Klingon ship and he's about to hug <laughs> Spock, and Spock says, "Not in front of the Klingons." <laughs> uh, right. so, so it's that that relationship has always had uh, this undercurrent of of uh, you know of love, gentleness, two, and two yeah, men. I think yeah, that's passionate friendship. That's, I, I, I think that's really... given the, sh- the 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 whole franchise kind of license to to explore this, even though it it was it took I think a kind of an act of daring by the time we got to the next generation to finally say yeah oh we're gonna actually tackle this overtly it's um but it's did they tackle it overtly? well they don't well, at first not, there's no. a, I mean, this episode the uh, the outcast which is about a genderless society right and which it's, is about as far strong, as they it's went a, in a very the early strong, 90s and a woman yeah. really wants to sleep with Riker. yeah Riker wants so to the, preserve her ability to do so, so and yet her yeah. because she because she does because she because she leans more female and so it's about her that right like, her society is going to force her to become gender neutral and eventually she just says yes to it because it's too exhausting to live as mm. an outcast and yeah. she yes. doesn't want to sleep with Riker anymore when it's done and Riker's very sad very sad and yet Jonathan said why didn't they cast a man in that role mm-hmm. yeah that would have been that would have been so, bolder definitely that's the thing. Yeah. Star Trek does have this weird history of being on the one hand extremely progressive and on the other hand when it comes to LGBTQIA representation yeah, it's I would say like the issue they pay the least service to. Well, to exactly. be fair, they pay very little attention to heterosexual sexuality as well. True. You yeah, know, they, they seem to steer clear of just like the whole topic that but, people yeah, sleep well, together they, in the future. I mean, the original series was all about yeah. heterosexual sexuality, but I mean, you know, Kirk, 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 the original show, Kirk, Kirk, well, Kirk's I mean, constantly Kirk was seducing. Well, I mean, heterosexual, yeah, yeah. yeah, but did you ever see him brushing the te- brushing his teeth in the morning with somebody? No, but you see him zipping his, uh, his boot up after he... <laughs> well, well, I did not think you were going to say boots. So, so. I thought you were going to say something <laughs> so. else. But I was like, what episode not, was this? Nope, when yeah. did I miss it? But it's still, I mean, that's for that 60s television, and it, that was very. It was pretty racy. Really I mean, Lucy and yeah. Ricky slept in separate beds. Yeah. yeah, And then here was Kirk off. You know, even no, Lucy Ball's his, other he show. He was in his quarters. Off on each other. Uh, you know, put all of her sexual energy. Yes. But yeah, I know. I <laughs> right. I, but it, it is Desi like what I was talking about with Kirk. Like of kind of it, the flip side of that is that you know Kirk was also an advertisement for 
male, you know, heterosexuality and the sort of like conquest of women in a way. So there's this all sort of inertia from that, I think, that played into later iterations of Star Trek. It's like, are, you know, are we are we presenting, you know, a, a role model for masculinity and like in a very standard way or and mm. and, and as a you know multi million dollar franchise, can we screw around with that or yes. not? Well, I mean, it's always been on Star Trek to screw around with social mores, right? And I mean, in Next Generation, you had sort of the two different versions of the mm-hmm. male archetype. I mean, you had you know Picard, the the thinker, you know, and then Riker, presumably the the sex machine. Yeah. Um, Good point. But again, yeah. you never really saw more than you know occasionally he would flirt with Troy, and every once in a while there would be a love interest of the week. But that whole show really generally steered very clear of, of yeah. anything sexual. Yeah. Not to bring it back to Deep Space Nine, but <laughs> in it's a bit of a spoiler about the documentary. But what um, what Iris said about the during the DS9 documentary is he listed all of the things that he had as a goal for the show. And it was obviously male to female equality and racial issues and uh, class issues, poverty issues, um, social justice, et cetera. And he gave each one of those a check. Yes, like, yes, I we covered this in a way that we felt satisfied with. And when he got down to issues of, of sexuality and LGBTQ issues specifically, he said, no, I have to give us a, a, an X. We we didn't do this, and I wish we did. Um, and, you know, people will come out and say, well, we tried, you know, you did a little bit with rejoined with Terry a and Susanna bit. Thompson. And he said, nah, that's, you know, that wasn't <laughs> enough. That was a tiny thing. Fine, it was the first kiss. Uh, also, everybody's like super willing and ready and able to see two women kissing. It's well, I feel right. like it's <laughs> quite different than yeah. not that that, Anthony Stamets, that yeah. that, Anthony right. Rapp, and... Mm-hmm. Wilson Cruz, very. Yeah, and yeah. That's, it's I, different. Which is it's, both interracial and, yeah, I mean. But I guess, I think now that I think about it, and I don't have as as broad a view of genre of film and TV as I probably should to be able to say make this statement, but I feel like, and this is just kind of like going back over my memory of Battlestar Galactica and some other shows, I feel like LGBTQ representation is just low in genre generally. Well, do you remember The 100 a few years, that, years yeah, ago? That is when, an exa- yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexa was well, yeah, Lexi, like there's still okay so that ship for it's um Alicia Debnam Carey and her I think Alexa or that her she she dies on the show but she was with she was with another she was with a woman and yeah. it was a huge kill your gaze moment and it was everyone right loved. after they first made love yeah it was really and it like was the, next um, scene. the ship for that sh- for that show is so strong that there are people who have created because now Alicia Debnam Carey is on Fear the Walking Dead they've created a fictional character that looks like that people will draw in fan art that looks like wow. the girl who is still on the 100 and they've created a fictional character and there's a like a fictional ship within a fiction within Jeez. the fiction because people love that couple so much that it like followed her to a different well, show. it was one <laughs> of the first types of, uh, one of the first opportunities for representation on television in the genre. I mean, there was the L Word and, the, and uh, you know, a few other shows that... Uh, There's a lot of bespoke LGBTQ pro- programming, but nothing that's more mainstream, I feel like. Yeah. Or there yeah, wasn't. It, it does seem like a whole separate category in itself. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, and <laughs> sorry to say, but if you are online and reading comments there's uh, there it, there's still and I, I mean it's not i don't even want to say still because i think it's a more recent phenomenon of people saying oh i you know this is uh 
you know, I don't want to see this. I'm be this is being pu- pushed in my face, and even though they, it's like they forgot that they watched, <laughs> you know, Star Trek because it also relates to you know racial integration. And but aren't those bigoted comments? Like, I yep. mean, LGBTQ yep. people have always had it pushed in their face that mm-hmm. there are straight yeah. relationships. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see it that way, it sounds strange to say it out loud, but it's the absolute truth. If they have had this pushed in their face too. Yeah. And of course, felt of course, yeah. marginalized and unseen. And I remember saying that even fair. about, you know, talking about because <laughs> I love Christmas and I was with a, uh, one of my pro- professors and she's just like, oh, and I and she's a Jewish. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, huh, gosh, I never <laughs> thought about that. It's like, we, you know, we're ob- oblivious, uh, de- you know, depending on what mainstream group you're part of. You just well, you just tune it all out. You don't realize how much, you know, the other other people have to deal with things that they find annoying and that are, you know, just permeate the culture. That's just like a red flag of someone saying that they're not open, willing, cherishing of other types of people or other or other points of view or uh, and, any, types of people is a difficult thing, too, because we're all the same type of people. All we want, all we all want is love and to be love and give love and to have good lives. So if you but, hear I someone mean, saying pushed in our face, that's like but we're in a moment you red know, flag, politically where, where yeah, it, but that that is celebrated. I mean not not necessarily, you know, sort of bigotry on its face, but just I think uh, aggression and like uh, uh, me against whatever. Yeah, is, just in general troll behavior. Right now that bigotry is being excused in a big way it's, that it hasn't been yeah. more recently until well, this A, it's horribly wrong, and B, why are you here for Star Trek? Because, I mean, is it just the spaceship porn? Because hmm. this is what Star Trek has well, always been about, is, you know, there is no them. There is only us. Mm-hmm. And we each have a right to live long and prosper. Let's make sure that everybody gets to. Well, also, even if you... Oh, go on. I was going to say, in terms of getting, like, shoved in your face, I mean... Things like, you know, Stamets and, and uh, Culver are kind of like, you know, Janeway being the first starship captain, you know, female starship captain. It was specifically not called attention to mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. in the Star Trek universe, it is no big deal. Yeah. And so it's not like, you know, this couple is being paraded around as like super special or like better than anybody else. It's just like it's just another that, couple. That's yeah. But it's interesting the way people perceive that, because I just saw someone making that almost that exact same comment and saying, oh, we used to, you know, the older shows just presented it as being, you know, they'd have a black character or, you know, female character doing something and just presented it as ordinary. But for s- some reason, or a black they, family. I would I never mean, see them fair. go into specifics about that. But the, the people who are reacting against this and saying it's being shoved down our throats, for some reason, are viewing how this is being presented now is somehow different from you know the past fifty That's years thing of, too. Like it's, of Star yeah. Trek, which also, is what's, just what's noteworthy about it and weird what is that it's, been watching? it's what's noteworthy. I feel like about the Stamets and Culber relationship that people might be like, "This is getting shoved down our faces." It's that not only are they a gay couple, they are a married couple living aboard a starship, which is typically not something we saw. So I think mm. that like. 
I think something that's different that has nothing to do with their sexuality that's very much unique about that couple is that we're getting to see an intimate side of Starfleet, an intimate side of Star Trek that we didn't really get to see in the past. Yeah, mm, we, we never called heterosexual couples home. And no, yeah, no, like a little bit. I think Worf and Dax were really well, great. O'Brien like, and Keiko, a little bit. But those yeah, happened bit. on the ship, and these guys, right. when we meet them, they're already together. Exactly, there are no established couples brought on. Yeah, it's all you right. see it kind of develop, and then you see their lives together. Whereas this is, I think, I don't know, like. I don't think it's getting shoved in our faces, but I do think they're getting way more attention than any other Star Trek couple has gotten. Yeah, I, I like that I in think a it's great good. way. Yeah, beautiful. Because yeah. I think Star Trek didn't Star Trek didn't have an openly gay character on a, on any particular type of content show or movie until Star Trek wasn't was it Into Darkness or was it Beyond? Uh, beyond. I think it was yeah, beyond. that's when yeah, it's revealed that Sulu yeah. is yep. gay and has a husband and a daughter, and it, they don't even talk about it. You just nope, see him just walk see away it. with them on the yeah, starbase, right? And that's, Again, so that's the no first big deal. time Star Trek did that, no and so yeah, I think yeah. it's exactly. great that they're giving Stamets and Colbert this huge spotlight because I think they have some ground to make up. Like, yes, they do. I love my. I think that's part of it, but yeah, it's still like this but is that, an area which they fall down. You know, issue. I remember talking about this in college where, you know, and it was all about feminism. It was like, well, we can't, why are we giving these people these special rights? And this, you know, teacher was talking about like swings of the pendulum, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you have to swing past the middle for a while in order to make up the ground, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that these people have lost for so long. So I think some of that is what's going on now. We're, yeah, the, these, the profile of these relationships are raised and there's more focus on it because it's been ignored for so long. Yeah, pendulum and so is pe- fair. So, mm-hmm. you know, people are picking up on that and, you know, to some people, it, it, it's like whatever reparations or mm-hmm. any anything like that. There's yeah. this gigantic injustice that can't possibly be rectified. Um, but well, but it, the idea of do, uh, even attempting to still drives some, some people yeah. crazy. I mean, that's why there's a women's movement, because yeah. basically it was a men's movement for thousands yeah. of years. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to and make yourself heard. Yeah, you need to make some noise if you pendulum. want to change yeah, for yourself. Yeah, I had somebody say, fair. you know, for, it is fair. Yeah. for talking about the people in, you know, uh, Force Awakens or something, and they're like, I want to see myself on screen. I was like, well, watch the other five million movies you know, that have, <laughs> where you're depicted on screen. Yeah, interesting. A part of it is the the beauty of the writing in Saints of Imperfection is I just think is is really important. It, it wasn't until you know. So here we have we're back to Culber. There he's in the mycelial network and he's covered with this stuff and he's seen as a threat and he's not and he's covering himself so that he can be protected and. He's obviously shaken from having been killed and brought back and the fact that he could be killed or tortured again and again. And then Stamets appears. And it's basically, uh, is this a mirage? What's happening? Do I can I even believe this? I've been by myself. Am I losing my mind? Am I imagining this? And when Stamets says, you were running ahead of me and you held out your hand behind you because you knew I would take it. And just that. just captured my heart so beautifully. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of moment of intimacy that we can kind of, that we can all remember in some relationship of, wow, he he likes me, you know? That's the moment when you know. That's the moment you know, and that's the moment when Hugh knew that Stamets was actually real standing there and that he could possibly be rescued from May and her people and all the 
hell there. Poison sumac that he'd been rolling in for mm-hmm. how many months? Poor right, guy. Right, right. <laughs> so it, was, really it was the beauty of this first moment between these men that was so beautifully human that anybody who doesn't give credence to a relationship that begins with that and progresses to the kind of commitment and risking your life to save your partner, as Stamets did, and all of it, brushing your teeth and the tears and the joy. Come on, everybody deserves to have that in whatever way they choose. And it's beautiful that Discovery is depicting that. Mm-hmm. It's also it's so well put together by these, so well rendered by these actors too. I mean, their relationship is palpable. Yeah, yeah. these guys are working off of each other so beautifully. It, yeah. I I loved grieving Stamets in the sense that I really felt like it was honest and it was sad, yeah. and I thought he is going to leave the ship because I wouldn't want to stay. This is yeah. awful. Yeah. And where am I, I ever going to find another one of him? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you just you really, really, and I feel like Star Trek doesn't didn't always. This episode reminded me a little bit of Hard Time on DS Nine when Miles. O'Brien gets um, commits some breaks breaks a law on a planet, and before the Federate, before the you know DS Nine can step in and get him back, he is punished. And basically, the punishment is that they insert twenty years of prison memories. Mm. So he basically lives through twenty years in prison in the course of like five minutes. And ah. yeah, and like it's it's a wonderful episode because it really deals very head on with PTSD in this really right. very unique sci fi way, and it's great work by. Um, oh my gosh, Colmini! Yeah, they, mm, uh, like wonderful right. work by Colmini. Um, I can't remember the guest star who plays his cellmate, who figures very importantly in the story, but he's also wonderful. And trying to see him go home and readjust to life with his family, like he's sitting there eating with Keiko and Molly, and he starts picking pieces of his food and putting them into a napkin. And Keiko's like, "What are you doing?" And he was like, "Oh, we had to. Sometimes they wouldn't feed us for days, so I had to, you know, hide food." And she can't like just watching all of that is so brilliant. And then it's over the next episode. Like literally it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So seeing um sorry, that was kind of a digression, but I feel like mm. we're gonna get I'm I'm excited to see more of this journey and I feel like they're gonna pay it some good service. I still I'm really, yeah. really Wilson Cruz, if you're listening, I'm on your team. I want you to have mm-hmm. your own episode. Like oh, I just we love want you, Wilson Cruz. <laughs> Holbert episode yeah, and Anthony Stamets. He deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, Wilson Cruz. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh no, 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 no! I, jumping I just, in. I really want the care. I really want Culver to have his own episode because I think that would ground the character. It would really cement him as a series regular, and it would give him definition beyond his relationship with Stamets, which I know Jeff has been a perennial issue for you. That he's he kind of exists. He's a love interest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When like clearly Wilson Cruz is capable of doing so much more. He really is, isn't he? Mm-hmm. It's funny. Uh, how the you know these sort of archetypes of characters. Uh, from the beginning of Star Trek is like, well, the, who's the ship's doctor? Who's the ship's engineer on Discovery? It's the, those oh, yeah. characters have not been. We don't, haven't even seen the ship's engineer, I, I, as far as I know, yet. Because Stamets is not actually the the engineer. This, he's just mm-hmm. in some lab where they they do the mycelial. He's the astromycologist. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> right. And the and Chief astromycologist. Uh, you know, Culver as as the doctor hasn't gotten the same kind of presence, you know, that uh, the other doctors on on the other shows, you know, who are huge pivotal characters, uh, he hasn't yeah. gotten that. So I'd, I'd definitely like to see him fl- fleshed out. Is, I mean, that's a big question. Is he going to be the ship's Resume doctor again? Yeah. Well, yeah. they certainly give him more room now. I mean, if there if it was a, a character without mm, a lot of facets before, I mean, he's certainly got a lot to talk about. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm curious to see. I, one thing I thought I thought about and speculated a little bit, I was just like, I don't know that I want to see an entire huge subplot devoted to the Stamets and Culber relationship of like, you know, Culber trying to like get better and it's not, I don't, I, I want to see that, but I don't want it to, I don't want this to become like a Grey's Anatomy type thing and we're going to watch them sort of like have It'd be this. nice to have that just be a reality though, that when we see them interact with each other, they are working through these things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But and that's the, not like the plot. They, exactly. They certainly, right. I mean, yeah. the, the, this episode where he's in sickbay and, uh, Certainly, they're setting up a conflict between them. That that like like we talked about before. That Stamets is not even listening to him. That he's in his own world of joy at, at having him back, and that Culver is having a completely different experience. So that uh, I mean, clearly that has to be explored, and it's I would have to assume it's being set up to be explored. So I, I think so. we would look forward to seeing that. Mm. One thing that I think that. It's so lovely in Discovery is that there's a thread of tenderness through it that, you know, when you say, when they say we are family, whether or not it's, you mentioned in our last episode that you hadn't felt like it was backed up uh, so much between... um, Saru and Burnham? Between Saru and Burnham, right. You know, when did that happen? I guess we just have to, you know, accept that. But... But but I believe it watching them. I believe mm-hmm. that whether or not it's been shown on screen that there's something that has happened that, you know, when Pike says he is one of our own, there's this thread of loyalty and tenderness where they when they do risk their lives for each other, I believe that they would if anybody would. Yeah, I mean, through and Burnham, I, I do feel like there's a lot of meat in that relationship because of the whole, that's, I, I never felt like Burnham's arc as, you know, an outcast and, a, you know, traitor ever really got what it deserved. But within the relationship with Saru, I think it did because of the whole idea of whether he was going to trust her and his reaction to to her position, I thought, was always very strong. So I I do buy them as a, a kind of brother sister relationship. I feel like they've been through enough together. They've had enough scenes together that there is a real relationship there that you know I don't always see in some of the other characters on the show. Mm. And part of where I I was going with that also is that. The cast itself has a really wonderful relationship with each other. You don't sense yeah. any mm-hmm. of the competitiveness or mm-hmm. backbiting or mm-hmm. out and out eneminess, <laughs> enmity that there has been in other casts. There's not a jealousy thread. There's real, true friendship and support. And um, I've I've heard the cast say that that's top down coming from Sinequa, which I believe, having met her, just lovely in her spirit, but. I was really struck by something that I heard um, Wilson say in an interview, which is that when he got asked back, he was so excited because he wanted to work with the cast again. Yeah, that's lovely. And he had missed them. And it's just it was just a wonderful experience creating the show. Not, yeah, I wanted to work. I love this. You know, it wasn't even about him. It was about what they were creating together and the time they spent, which I I feel like that reads on screen. I think Mm -hmm. definitely. Like I've been 
really impressed and almost like a tiny bit skeptical of how positive and how how much the cast seems to really share Star Trek values mm. genuinely. Like yeah. they are more than ready, willing and able to always talk about how seriously they take this job, how socially and progressively important it is right mm. now and how proud they are to be working on something that ha- that has these kinds of values. Like they all seem like they're pitching in and helping out with this greater fight. And Part of me is like, like, did you guys, did all of your publicists direct you to say this kind of stuff? Like, I love it. Don't stop. But right, right. right. It's, just, it's just, I'm just so, it's it's really incredible that this bigger group of people is all like, yes, we are here for the same mission. We're supporting each other. There's no conflict. No one's more important than the other person. We just all love and support each other. We want to come out and do a great job because we love this job. Yeah. And we love this content. And that, as a, as a Star Trek fan, I think because, you know, you get so protective mm-hmm. of it. I think that's where a lot of nasty fandom comes from because at the end of the day, it's, you know, this is what kept me company in high school because I didn't have a ton of friends. And it was my escape. It was my escape hatch when my real life wasn't great. So I'm very protective of it and very possessive of it. And I think that that gets fans into conflict when it doesn't feel like whoever's steering the ship has a handle on it. And you're like, yeah. don't, don't mess mm. with my guys. Like, this right. is important to me. This reality, this continuous reality isn't very important for my fantasy life. Please don't screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> and I find that listening to the Discovery cast talk and believing how just how much they like each other makes me feel like there's somebody solid in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much they love the mission that they they realize they've been entrusted with. Yeah, the fact that yeah. they're so aware of it just really makes me proud of Star Trek as a whole, that like it really has done a job of being representative of this kind of idealistic, optimistic content and mm. promoting these kinds of values. Like I think that that's inescapable at this point, and that's such an incredible testament to Gene's vision and the lifeblood of the series as people have contributed to it through the decades. Like. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weighty legacy to be entrusted with. It is. I mean, certainly I know that the Voyager cast felt that way. I mean, especially Kate Mulgrew, you know, feeling like they are they are stepping into a lot of people's fantasy lives, as you said. I mean, that they just by being part of Trek, they're going to be really important in a lot of people's lives. And mm-hmm. that's not something to, to take lightly. I mean, that's not something that you can just blow off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I, I certainly got the impression that, that the Voyager actors took it seriously. Yeah. That was something I feel like when when I it's really sad to me when a Star Trek actor um, is not happy with their work or their time on the show or something like that. And like every anytime someone's any kind of public about it, I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I want you guys all to all have an amazing time all the time. And yeah. Um, it's also a little bit of the wish fulfillment that we were talking about before is that we we want to be those people totally you know if I got to be on Star Trek I'd be so happy every day you know that kind of thing yeah (laughs) one other character that um, we haven't talked a lot about is Jet Reno and uh, Ah. played obviously by Tignataro beautifully Mm -hmm. and it hasn't been mentioned whether Jet is LGBTQIA or not but Tignataro is is very open and uh she the, the cast says that she'll come to work saying, wow, I can't believe it. I get to be on Star Trek. And it's completely like a child, like a five-year-old, about yeah. how excited she is about being able to walk into this. Um, you know, Whoopi Goldberg had, had mentioned um, she, she had a sign in 2008. I think she was saying equal rights um, because um, there was an episode in The Offspring um, mm. where – Guinan was supposed to start to tell Lao when a man and woman are are in love, and Whoopi refused to say that. Hmm. And she s- said the line as it aired, which is, it should be when two people are in love. Oh. Mm-hmm. So there have been rumblings of this for quite a while, and it's really nice to see it was finally it- taking shape on screen. I guess this is just my unawareness of 
never having actually worked on a television show in any capacity. Um, I don't know if you guys can speak to this, but it's just like was LGBTQ just not a subject you were going to get on network television in the 80s and 90s? Was it just like, no? I think people were afraid uh, that if they came out, they would not be of... Really? Well, yeah. you, you, well, you mean in terms of like as a writer, do, did I pitch LGBTQ yeah, stories? Yeah, I'm wondering if there was like a, an, if there was just a common kind of network directed if you were on a show and you were writing and you wanted to pitch an LGBTQIA storyline, if that was just, I, I'm curious to know if that culturally was not, was this something that you would just have known either not to do or known you were going to get a no or, or fight? We never talked about it openly, this okay. is one Voyager, but I think that there was kind of the, the, unspoken realization that this would be, yes, a very special episode, or it would have to be something that we would have to run past, you know, the network and all that kind of stuff first. And I think, again, we just, I mean, even the Paris Torres relationship, you know, was so many discussions about how that was Mm going to go. And I mean, not that it was controversial, but just that it was going to be a regular relationship between two of our regular characters, which frankly, we didn't see very often. Uh, just a, a quick note here. Pocketbooks, in their 1992 guidelines for story submission, they said, quote, we are not interested in books that suggest anything other than friendship among any of the Enterprise crew members. So straight relationships, gay relationships, anything. It was just no affection. I will. Just like, oh, my gosh. Done. That yeah. is my like my biggest frustration with Star Trek, I think, just historically um, has been. Been, and I think it's because they kind of set themselves up that way. You know, we see all these people, we don't get to see their, you know, sort of most intimate moments. And so I was always the person who was shipping every couple she could possibly ship on a show because I just wanted to see <laughs> right. some action. And the Jamie Chicote partnership was like really strong, but it was it was like pulling teeth to get anything between those two. And it always struck me as so frustrating because I so wanted to see that side of Janeway and I wanted yeah. to see what she would have been like in a relationship and like it specifically ma- we didn't want to make her anybody's love interest because that was so often what female characters got shoved I, into. Kate Mulgrew like very I didn't really appreciate mm. this as a young like romantic non-feminist in high school um, <laughs> we're not really aware of that I was like I just want to see her make out with Robert Beltran why is that so hard why can't you give me right. one episode <laughs> and um, I really have come around to have such an incredible amount of respect for her for because I, was she not? It was my perception that she was a big part of not wanting Janeway to be sexualized in that way. I think nobody did. Okay, cool. I think that was generally understood all the way through is that she was going to be treated like any other captain. But that, just you wouldn't know. be edge on the Bechdel. Yeah. 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 I, I just want to you know say I, I mentioned before we had not seen the you know Discovery's chief engineer and I love Tignatero's character and I, I just love the idea of a, you know, cynical, wisecracking, grizzled female engineer. And that that her, the fact that she's like this androgynous character, I think is, 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 it's a unique for a a female character on Star Trek. And Mm -hmm. you, you got in, you know, Janeway was treated in, in, in her actions, uh, I I think in, you know, a kind of gender free Way, but she still was conventionally, you know, made up and yeah, as so as a like yeah, with the gray hair yeah. doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I I love uh, Tignatero's. Uh, she's someone completely convincing as you know some this grease monkey you know who's in, in there doing. Yep, her uh, sexuality is d- not the stuff point. Stuff that really you know not. twenty or thirty years ago would have been, would have been inconceivable. 
that you would ha- be able to ha- have a female character doing, you know, being an engineer on a starship. So I, they would have I, I know it, that they, they're going to have more of her in yeah. the show. They like yeah. her, and she will be in further episodes. But I would be totally on board with her being the chief engineer and oh, having Scotty oh. scenes. You know, we've never had. Well, I mean, also just in just. We've never had comedy like that on Star Trek, right? Yeah. Like it's yeah. just never like as, as unsexual as it's been. You still have to wait for Q episodes for there to be like some real. At least I'm <laughs> speaking in terms of TNG for there to be some real belly laughs and yeah. ridiculous, whimsical stuff. And I just in one scene, Jet Reno's like, "I'm uninsultable, and I got some duct tape solutions for you." And just her mm-hmm. manner of speaking, yeah. and how she deals with Stamets, yeah, she's, she's such great. Takes such a seasoned, seasoned yeah. comedian, and I think Salty. that's. Part of the reason I think people like Orville so much is that it's the jokes we all wanted to hear <laughs> on Next Gen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like people are taking themselves just a little bit less seriously, and it's just a delight. Yeah, so. it's a relief in mm-hmm. some ways. Yeah. Well, we have to wrap it up. Unfortunately, this has been such a great interchange, you guys. Yeah. Just great conversation. Thank you so much, Alexandra, Jeff, and Lisa. Um, appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank, yeah, and thank you, our audience. We are so glad that you could join us for this episode of Disco Nights. And we would love for you to uh, check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 430 Movie every Friday, in which a group of writers and producers create, curate fantasy fantasy theme weeks, and Inglorious Trexperts, which calls itself the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. I don't think so. Untrue. <laughs> Untrue. I don't think so. That is available every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts, and also Best Movies Never Made, which is on Monday nights. Also, look for Disco Nights More, 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 where we feature bonus episodes where our guests review the previous week's episodes along with our Discovery Science Minute by J.D. Voyek. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And you can also follow us at Disco Nights Pod on Twitter and at Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram. Special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Studios Network. You can watch new and previous episodes of Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access. We hope you do, and we hope you'll join us next week. Until next Sunday, this is Chase Masterson and the gang signing off and saying, Disco Disco lives! This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.